Welcome to Kings of the Heart, Kings Holding Court Edition. My name is Tariq Omari Walton, and I am one of your favorite licensed marriage and family therapists, usually joined by my partner in crime, Dr. John Hart. But John isn't here today, so I'm going to be holding it down for the Kings with this edition of Kings Holding Court. This is where we take questions from our listeners. And by the way, you can give us a call at 240-232-6505. You can either leave a voice message or you can send a text. And we will try to get your question on during one of these segments of King's Holding Court. But today, I have a few questions that have already been sent in, transferred to me, entrusted with me to answer properly for you today. And so I hope you're ready. Sit back and we're going to hit this off with the first question. All right. So here's the first one. How do you handle disciplining kids as a new parent in a blended family? Again, the question is, how do you handle disciplining kids as a new parent in a blended family? All right. Well, the first thing I want you to think about is as someone stepping into a a new situation where you are not the primary parent in that family, that you have to make sure that you're taking the time to develop a solid relationship with the child before you even think about discipline them. And it's also, you know, we want to think about what, what disciplining is. Are we talking about verbally disciplining? Are we talking about um, physically disciplining? Either way, there needs to be a strong relationship developed between the new parent and the child. You know, it's interesting when I've seen this before, been, you know, faced with this question before, it's often come, interesting enough, with my LGBTQ clients where, you know, <laughs> I just think about the ladies who come in and the one who is the primary parent often complains about the new parent not disciplining the child enough. And I often have to say, look, it, have you done the work necessary to help your mate develop a strong, loving, caring and nurturing relationship with your child before they even consider being a disciplinarian? Because a child needs to know that they can trust you. That you, that you do genuinely love them, that you care about them, and whatever you're doing is for their best interests when you're disciplining them. Without that, the child can easily look at you as being the mean parent, as being the, the tough one, um, and, and not having a, you know, not being able to build a bond with you because you came in swinging from the gate. And that is up to the primary parent to make sure that they, the two are actually developing a relationship. Without that relationship, without that structured time to figure out who is who within this relationship and that, you know, we both care about each other, there's no way possible that that can turn out well. You think about how many people grow up not liking their step parents because of how hard they were on them, because of how much they disciplined them. Well, think for a second if that person had actually had the time or taken the time to develop a more loving and nurturing relationship with them before they began swinging on them. You know, not saying that swinging is ever uh, 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 the best way to go about it, but there does have to be a stronger relationship between the two, a trusting relationship between the two, before discipline can really be let out from that, that new parent. And I want you to think about it from this angle as well. If you are in a new relationship, that means you're not with your, the, the other primary parent. So imagine for the second, for a second that the other primary parent is with someone new just like you are. How would you feel about that new parent 
discipline your child. Think about that for a second. It doesn't sit too well with you, right? So why would you put the other primary parent in that situation of not being comfortable and possibly confronting the new parent, your mate, because they disciplined your child or their child? Doesn't doesn't sit too well with you, right? So take that in mind as you're trying to define new roles between you and your new mate. And one of those roles at that early stage should not be your new mate taking on the role of the disciplinarian. That is your responsibility as a primary parent. And that's how you keep the peace, really, and allow room for the relationship to develop between your child and their new parent. All right? If you have any questions about that, again, you can give us a call at 240-232-6505, and we can break that down a little bit more for you in, in a future episode. Ready for another question? Here we go. So, got this one. It cracked me up when I saw it. Why are all women alike? Why are all women alike? And for this kind of question, I need a lot more context. That's just a very broad blanket statement to make. Why are all women alike? Well, first of all, I have to tell you, all women are not alike. Just even considering this question, the story that when I, growing up, I didn't read a lot of books. I wasn't really, um, I was a reader, but I wasn't reading the classics like, you know, Moby Dick and um, all those other books that, you know, that we're supposed to read as kids. I read a lot of comic books. I was a big Archie and Jughead fan, but I also read a lot of folklore, a lot of African, African-American, Caribbean, Native American folklore. And in one book called Talk That Talk that I think it came back out and back in 1983, it's an anthology of African-American folklore. Love the book. I mean, I read it all through college. Every now and then I'll pick it up. I think I actually have it on my, on my um, nightstand by my bed. And I'll pick it up every now and then, kind of leaf through it and read some old stories. But there was one story in particular that always stood out to me. And it was called Two Kinds of Women. I can't remember the author's name right now. It's killing me as I'm thinking about it. But I always loved this story. And so the story starts off with a young man, probably, let's say, 14, 15 years old, standing in the mirror, getting ready, getting ready to go out with his friends for the night. And so his father comes in and looks at him and says, you know, boy, what you doing? What you, what you doing? What you, what, you, what you about to do? And his son says, oh, pop, I'm about to go out and hang out with my boys. And uh, his father looks up and was like, what you going to do out there hanging out with your boys? He's like, oh, I'm going to be talking to, you know, he's, he's like, what are you going to do, talk to some girls? He's like, nah, pop, I'm going to be talking to some women. And his father kind of leans back and looks at him and says, women, what you know about women? He was like, Papa, I know everything I need to know about women. So the father looks up and says, you know, so tell me, what are the two kind of women? The son said, oh, that's easy. It's the pretty ones and ugly ones. Father looks at him, shakes his head and says, nope. Uh, the tall ones and the short ones. Nope. The fat ones and the skinny ones. Nah, boy, you don't know nothing about no, boy, no women. There's two kinds of women, and those ain't it. So let me break it down to you real quick. These are the two kinds of women. They're the kind that'll kill you, and the kind that'll make you kill yourself. And so he says, boy, don't get all bent out of shape, you know, when you think about that, because yes, your mother is one of them. But she's not the kind that'll kill you. The kind that'll kill you is the kind that you'll see coming from a mile away, her hand on her hip, looking all sassy, 
That's the one who's going to take you for everything you have. That's the one who's going, this, I'm getting off the story a little bit, just breaking it down a little bit more in my own terms. But essentially, the woman who will kill you is the one who's not really about you, but about what you can provide and what you can give. The one who wants you to work five, six, seven jobs to give her what she wants, as opposed to the kind of woman that'll make you kill yourself, that's the one who doesn't want you to work all those jobs. That's the one who doesn't care how much you're providing, but actually wants you to be more of a contributor, wants you to be more of a, a um, when you're providing, you're providing that emotional support. That's the one that wants your time. But that's the one that you're going to want to do all the work for. That's the one that's, that you're going to want to kill yourself doing all this work to provide for because you know how much she cares about you. And so the story goes on. It's, it's a lot more intricate than what, how I'm explaining it right now. But essentially, you know, you have these two, one who just wants what they want and the other one who will give you the world to make sure that you don't hurt yourself trying to give her what she wants, what, what you think she wants. You know, and of course, I mean, it's just a story that always stuck with me as a kid as I'm looking around and, and trying to figure out what kind of woman I want to be with. And so, you know, just to start there, simply all women aren't the same. Women have different needs, have different desires have different motivations, and when they're working with you, when they're trying to help develop a relationship with you, you see that instantly. Every woman doesn't want the same thing. So yeah, some, you know, think about love languages. Some women do prefer gifts, and that's how they feel loved and cared for. Some women prefer quality time, and that doesn't always line up to being the same woman. And so it's really about what kind of woman are you attracting that they seem like they're all the same? Because that's what I'm reading from this question. If you're asking me, why are all women the same? I'm wondering, what kind of women are you attracting that they all appear to be the same? Because that says a lot more about you than about the women. So take that with you. Think about that one for a little while. But there are a lot more. I'll tell you right now, there's a whole lot more than just one kind of woman out there. All right, so let's move on to the next question. Next question is, how can you learn to be more transparent in a relationship when past relationships lacked effective communication. Again, how can you learn to be more transparent in a relationship when past relationships lacked effective communication? I got to tell you, it all starts with you. You have to figure out what it is or what happened in that past relationship that caused it to lack that effective communication. Did you guys just not have the tools? Did you guys just not care enough? What was going on between the two of you that the communication was not effective? And so once you step back and kind of reflect on what was going on between the two of you, recognize what your role was in it. Again, did you lack the proper tools? Did you lack the proper care? Did you not put the proper effort in that's needed to actually sit down, listen, or communicate with somebody? That all begins with you. Because right now, you're the one who's looking to have a healthier relationship the next time around. And so if you want to learn how to be more transparent, first take a look at yourself. But then once you do that, figure out why aren't you usually transparent? Why aren't you transparent? I'm going to start with safety. Do you not feel emotionally safe enough with someone to be transparent, to be vulnerable, to share your, your insights, to share your thoughts, to share your feelings? Because if you don't feel safe with someone, that means you don't trust them. You're probably fearful that they're going to be judgmental, that they are going to use your words against you, that they're not going to take you seriously, 
that they're not going to listen. In those cases, it makes it truly hard, almost impossible to be transparent because you often feel rejected. You feel disappointed. You feel unheard. And so in order to really become transparent in any relationship, whether it's romantic, whether it's you know, parental, whether it's with your siblings, your friends, there needs to be a level of trust and there needs to be a lot of space for safety so that you can feel free to express what's going on with you. But without that, there's no, no chance at transparency. And so that's the first thing you need to do. You know, one of the second thing you need to do. Are you feeling safe when you're actually trying to communicate with this new mate? And what you don't want to allow to happen is allow your previous relationships to kind of shackle you, to keep you anchored to one way of thinking, one way of, of interacting with people. You have a new person who's worthy of a new approach. And so once you kind of reflect on what happened in your previous relationship and you see your role in it, now you have the opportunity to change your behavior and make sure that you're working towards better communication with your mate. But you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be very honest with yourself. If you're not the emotional type, as many people say, well, figure out what that means. Because we all experience emotions. There's not a moment in your day where you're not experiencing emotion. Right now, as you're listening to me, there's an emotion that you're experiencing, but you have to figure out what that emotion is. Tap into that. What senses? You have five senses. Which senses are you using to figure out what's going on in the world around you? Because once you see that, then you can realize, yeah, I'm having some kind of reaction. I am having, I am sharing an emotion or I am experiencing emotion because I'm connecting with the world around me. Anytime you connect, there's something that you're feeling. So whether it's taste, touch, sight, hearing, smell, you're always experiencing something every moment of the day. So figure out what those things are. Find that emotion wheel or a list of emotions and familiarize yourself with that so you become better aware of the emotions that you're experiencing. So now when you do feel safe to communicate with your new mate, now you know the words to use in order to be more vulnerable, in order to be more transparent. That takes a lot of work, but it's possible. I see it happen every single day. All right. All right. Well, you know what? I think I'm going to take one more question. Again, if you have any questions, be sure to text us or give us a call and leave a voice message at 240-232-6505. Again, that's 240-232-6505. So for the last question for this episode of Kings of the Heart, Kings Holding Court, this is the question. What are the reasons to not take back NX? And what are the reasons to take back NX? This person is looking for both sides of the coin. So what are the reasons to, to not take back your ex? And what are the reasons that you should take back your ex? Wow. So... This one is very, has to be a very, very personal decision for you. You know, this to me really comes down to your ability to discern what's good for you and what's not good for you. You know, what amount of peace will you be disrupting in your own life by taking back an ex? You know, what are the reasons that you guys broke up 
for in the first place? Have circumstances changed? Have you grown? Have they grown? What are things that you've seen that say, you know what, this might be a better situation this time around than it was last time around? You have to take all that stuff into consideration because if you're just getting back with the ex because you missed them or because you're feeling lonely, more than likely you're going to end up back where you are right now, split up. And so make sure that the reasons why you're getting back together are because of genuine growth and that there is something different that's happening between the both of you this time. It can't be just, you know, returning to the old, hoping that it's going to make itself new. That doesn't work. So I'd say the reasons for not taking back your ex is because things haven't changed. You probably have met everything you will ever mean to each other. And you have to see that and you have to accept that. Some people just aren't meant to be in your life. You know, we all have our seasons. And so when you can be honest with yourself about that and see that this person, okay, held a temporary position in your life and be fine with that, that's the, all you really need to know about not taking back your ex. They aren't meant to be in your life forever, and that's okay. Or at least not meant to be in your life in that same way, in that same romantic way anymore. And so, you know, again, you have to figure out what's going on between you and them that's new, that would make it reasonable to return to a, new, return to a relationship with that person. So when you think about taking back your ex, yeah, you, what you're seeing is some growth there. You're seeing them in a new light or you're understanding them in a different way. Or maybe you guys are appreciating each other in a different way. What often happens when people break up, they may rebound and get into another relationship or even if they're not rebounding, they take time and get into another, re- another relationship and figure out, you know what, there are a lot of things about that, that previous person I was in a relationship with that I really didn't appreciate until I get, got with somebody who did not have those same qualities. And so, yeah, it might be one of those things where you see that, you know, you appreciate them in a different way or they appreciate you in a different way. And so there has to be a difference. If you're ever considering taking your ex back, there has to be a difference between who you were and who they were from back then and who you are and who they are now. Without that, you're just repeat, going to repeat the same old problems and habits and, 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 and fights and arguments that you've always had. There has to be genuine growth. I don't believe in change. Someone could come to you and say, oh, I've changed. I'm better now. I don't believe in change. Because if you change one way, you can always change back. But if you grow, if you evolve, you don't evolve. You don't devolve. You don't ungrow. That growth means you're going in one particular direction. And hopefully it's a good direction. But when you do that and you see that growth, that genuine growth from that X, then and only then do you consider taking them back. All right. Any questions? Again, you can give us a call at 240-232-6505. Either leave a voice message or you can send us a text and we will, again, try to bring you or bring your question to the table when we do Kings of the Heart, Kings Holding Court. Again, my name is Tariq Omari Walton for Dr. John Hart and myself, the other King of the Heart. I just want to thank you guys for listening and tune in for some more 
questions, more answers, more tools, because that's what we do. We provide tools and make sure that we are giving you the best advice possible for the healthiest relationship possible. Take care, guys. Enjoy your week.